is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. A big damn problem hey. could lead to a major water crisis soon for Southern California and other parts of the American Southwest. The biggest reservoir for the Colorado River is shrinking. And now federal officials say there's a really serious danger that they could get so low that water would no longer flow past Hoover Dam in just two years. See, that's why the reference to a dam. Uh, I get it now. So we go in depth into what that scenario would look like for us. Elon Musk. Remember him, right? How could you forget? Well, he tweets like every three seconds. But he may be tweeting, but he has suspended several journalists from Twitter. He says they tweeted out his real-time location. We'll talk to one of the suspended reporters who said, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. And China's strict COVID lockdowns. They are easing, but many experts are predicting a massive COVID surge in China. So are the lockdowns to blame? The Avatar sequel is finally out in theaters today. It's getting all the attention, but should it? It's hardly the only movie that's out right now. We'll go in-depth into what other films can make for some entertaining viewing this weekend. And here we go. This is going to get noxious. Uh, we're going to try to settle this uh, ongoing argument once and for all. Which kind of Christmas tree is the best, real or artificial? Both just might have some environmental positives. Why can't you have both? That's a very good question. I mean, and have peace in the land. I mean, if you're some kind of heathen, yeah, that's fine. But no, but but have like you can have like a real one in one yeah. room and a, a fake one in another. Like room. a like a compromise of sorts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you know the Christmas tree truce of 2022. <laughs> we start though with Hoover Dam, and what could be a looming water crisis. With us is Felicia Marcus, fellow at Stanford University's Water in the West program. He also, by the way, is the former chair of the California State Water Resources Control Board. Felicia, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I can tell this is going to be fun. Oh, yes, it will. There's nothing more fun to talk about than a drought and no water to drink. Uh, But we are in a serious situation, clearly. And the situation when it comes to the, uh, uh, the dam, the Hoover Dam, um, is getting more serious literally day by day. Where is this headed? Well, it's it's headed for doom and gloom if we don't change our ways. I mean, we're, we're probably in the most challenging time I can remember in the last uh, 45 years, maybe more, um, because we have this crashing of the uh, of rain and snow. It just hasn't come as it had in the past hundred or so years, both on the Colorado and in the Sierras, which feeds into the, the California system. So for Southern California, it's a double whammy of having shortages uh, from the state water project, as well as shortages on the Colorado. But the, the Colorado drought has been going on for 10 or 20 years, depending on how you count it. So we've been watching it coming, hoping for rain and snow that just hasn't come. Uh, and, you know, to be fair, the agencies, both the states and the agencies like Metropolitan and um, Imperial in California and Coachella Valley have negotiated some pretty interesting arrangements to try and forestall this day over the past six or seven years. And they deserve credit for that. But the bill's coming due. You know, with the uh, reservoirs uh, beginning to dry up, some rivers drying up, some uh, lake beds becoming visible, uh, those were warning bells. Those were flashing red alarm lights. Mm-hmm. What is the situation with the Hoover Dam? Is it hair on fire? 
It is hair on fire um, because two years is nothing. And and there'll be implications before two years because you also have the issues of power production on those two dams and trying to protect the facilities. You don't want any of your pumps to do what's called cavitate where they're just exposed to air. There's we, we haven't been this low since the dams were filled, so nobody knows exactly how that infrastructure might work. And the federal government, thankfully, has sort of rung the alarm bells to bring together a, a really challenging group of players because you've got seven states along the, ri- along the, the river with a variety of water rights, and the water rights system is, is pretty harsh. You know, seniors get 100%. Um, compared to the next junior, but this is kind of a mixture because you're not in, in one state and they have to figure out how to get folks to cut back. And they've been trying to get the states to come up with a, and agencies to come up with a voluntary agreement. But, you know, that's really hard to do just politically and otherwise. Folks with senior water rights claim water rights. Folks with the equities who are going to hurt the most claim equities. People argue whatever works best for them and politicians particularly are afraid of giving away water. So it really takes the feds coming in to be the 800 pound gorilla or the heavy. And and they rang a bell uh, asking for a deal by August, didn't come, said they were going to move forward. They now have some draft proposals out um, to cut back by a pretty significant percentage. And they've given the the states and agencies till January. But Felicia, but, but here's, here's what else is hard to do. What's hard to do. It seems is you mentioned earlier that unless we change our ways, and that is what mm-hmm. seems to be hard to do for a lot of people. Yeah, some people have changed, you know, they've taken out the water thirsty lawns and they've mm-hmm. put in, you know, desert landscapes and that sort of thing, but not nearly clearly enough of them. And there's got to be other things that need to be done because the situation is so dire that it doesn't seem like that's quite enough. Well, I think that's a good point. I, I think the work that's been done on lawn uh, transformation since our last drought, um, the one I was at the state board for, Metropolitan and other agencies put out over half a billion dollars in rebates and folks snapped them up. I mean, folks know they don't need these green carpets that look like a Scottish golf link in the middle of a of the summer, let alone in the middle of a drought, but it costs something. I think... Um, it, 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 for urban California and urban Southern California, there's a lot we can do. And met ringing the bell and calling a drought emergency was a very good step, as well as a lot of the steps they've taken. But basically, lawns take up, who knows, It's it could be 30 to 40 percent of urban water use, and they're not essential to modern life. So there's a, a reservoir we can draw on, um, you know, it's lawns and leaks are sort of the biggest water users. And then you have the city of L.A. and Metropolitan both working on what will be the two largest recycling projects uh, in the world when they're completed. But they'll take over a decade to get into action. So it's good they're in action. you got L.A. County uh, voters voted for a, uh, a plan that's going to be fabulous of $300 million a year to uh, create green spaces that can capture stormwater, get it in the ground and clean it up while it's moving past. But that will also probably take a decade or more to bear fruit. And in All the right. interim, we just have to conserve. Yeah. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, Felicia Marcus joining us, uh, fellow at Stanford University's What in the West program, and things are just getting dry all over. You know, I, I, I feel guilty now because I'm looking, uh, Rob, and I've got uh, one cup filled with tea, which, of course, is oh. water. And then I have another cup that's uh, just water. 
Uh, hmm. You're the reason we're running out of water. I, I would suggest I, I that be. you drink that water yes. and then go recycle it. <laughs> Elon Musk is getting slammed for suspending several journalists from Twitter, including uh, three from the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN. He accused them of sharing private information about his whereabouts that he described as basically assassination coordinates. One of those suspended journalists is with us now. My, uh, Matt uh, Binder uh, is a reporter from the technology news outlet Mashable. He says, hey, I didn't violate any of uh, Twitter's policies. So, so, Matt, I don't know. Should you be uh, ashamed of yourself? Did you run afoul of Elon Musk? What did you do? <laughs> I mean, I wish I, w- I knew because, um, <laughs> frankly, it's unclear exactly what sort of policies – I would have broken because Twitter doesn't tell you. They just straight up suspend your account. And then I have to wait for Elon Musk to tweet out that I apparently sent out doxed location information, which I can tell you I didn't. Huh. And, you know, I hear they say uh, Twitter rules. You violated Twitter rules. And, of course, uh, you know, you, as far as you know, you did not. But it does seem like, okay, there are Twitter rules, and Elon Musk owns the platform. He can, you know, ban whoever he wants, but it just flies in the face of all his promises that he was a free speech absolutist and he was going to let people stay on who criticized him. But now he appears to be changing Twitter rules to fit his whims of, well, this offends me, so I'll change the Twitter rules. You violated Twitter rules now. So you're out. Let me get to the issue of of what he claims was an attempt to target him for assassinations, Uh, tweeting out the location of his private jet. That, as I understand it, is publicly available information. So if you're tweeting out this information, you're not digging up something that's supposed to be hidden, are you? Right. No, this is exactly what you said it is. But even if you put that aside and Elon Musk decides he no longer wants this on his platform, Again, like you said, he's well within his right to do that. But people have to understand that that account, Elon's jet, that he had the problem with that was tracking his uh, plane, it never actually broke Twitter's rules because, like Elon Musk said, he was fine with it last month. He claimed it was under his free speech policy. And then he suspended the account before announcing the new rules. So basically, Elon's jet broke rules that Elon Musk only initiated in the future. So I'm trying to get my head around on, on a, like a scale uh, how traumatic of an event this is when one is suspended from Twitter. Is it like getting uh, a letter from the IRS saying you're being audited? Is it like getting a letter saying, <laughs> you, you know, jury duty? Where does it fall? Right. Well, as someone who who works in political media and yeah. tech media, Twitter is the platform for it. And so it is a big deal to be suspended because it's basically where everyone in your industry and profession uh, congregate, share their, uh, you know, their work, where you get to share your work and, and they, they uh, spread it as well. Um, so it's a big deal. Uh, basically, it says I'm, I'm permanently suspended, even though, like uh, he's been saying on Twitter, that may not be the case. Um, but I could still see my feed in terms of like the people I follow, their tweets. So, you know, I could follow along with the news. I just can't, you know, 
tweet out any news. You know, that's the issue here. It's getting so hard to keep up with what's going on with Elon Musk because he said a lot of things that turned out to not be true. He said before he let anybody back on the platform that had been banned before, he was going to have this content moderation policy board to review things for him. Well, that wasn't true. He's basically just making these decisions willy-nilly. And then there was an issue a few weeks ago where some uh, uh, left-leaning commentators were suddenly and mysteriously suspended for no reason they could determine and could not get an answer as to why. And now journalists suspended for breaking these rules. And then he's claiming at some point that someone is tweeting out his home address. And I personally didn't see any of that. I'm, I'm on Twitter quite a bit. I did not see that. But did, did any of you, as far as you know, tweet out his home address and tell people to go there? I have not heard anything about a home address. Everything's been surrounding this private jet uh, tracking information. Uh, that is basically from airport to airport. No one knows where Elon Musk goes after he leaves the airport. Um, it's not a good excuse. I mean, again, he could do whatever he wants to his, with his platform. But if he wants to be at least fair, you know, put the free speech promises and the transparency promises aside, if he just wants to be fair, he just needs to let people know what these policies are up front. And then rule that way he can't be going back and changing policies and saying one thing and then saying another without people being able to you know take this in usually when a platform rolls out a new policy they introduce it and then give it some leeway room to actually institute it to give people a chance to actually learn about it and find out what these new policies are he just doesn't do that so matt here's here's the sort of hashtag hashtag what's wrong with elon musk what is wrong with them what is eating the guy I mean, I, I, I can't get into his, you know, what he's thinking. Uh, I'm not no, a go ahead. Go ahead. Device, try. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, my, my assumption here is that he's in over his head. Um, he didn't want Twitter. He signed a deal. I don't know why he did. I guess he was convinced by the people around him or he really did think it was a good idea before deciding it wasn't. And then he was forced to actually buy it. Um, he's never dealt with owning a company like this before. Like owning Tesla is a lot different. You're selling cars to customers. Uh, running SpaceX is a lot different. You're convincing the federal government to give you subsidies. With social media, you are at the whims of a hundred, hundreds of millions of people, I should say, who are all asking for different things. And frankly, for the most part, are paying you nothing. He's out of his element, I think. So I have a quick question before we have to go. Uh, you know how, like, the blue check mark is like a kind of sign of prestige. Like, I'm important. I've got a blue check mark. Is there a new check mark for those of you who have been suspended or or eliminated from Twitter? Do you get a special uh, mark now? <laughs> it's a grayed out profile page. <laughs> <laughs> then congratulations yeah, there you go all right thank you <laughs> thank you uh, matt binder a reporter from the uh, technology news outlet mashable one of those uh, suspended from twitter mysteriously so you know uh in the next week or two or three actually because of the holidays if you want to go to see a movie it seems like the only one you can see is avatar yeah that's it, it it's gonna be everywhere nothing else yeah, they're like beaming in into your car yeah, it's you like, can't get away from you it. cannot get away from it but we here are not fooled. Oh, no. We are going to give you folks a guide to what other movies you can actually hold on, hold see. On. Other movies? Yes, there are other no. movies that you can actually see if you want to 
park your rear end in a movie theater instead of in your home watching something on, on a streaming service, but something other than Avatar. We're going to get into that. Weird. Yeah. Right now, though, a lot of health experts are predicting a huge surge in COVID cases and deaths in China as the country eases its strict lockdowns. That raises the question of effectiveness of those lockdowns. With this is Dr. Jennifer Bui, epidemiologist, senior policy researcher, and Tang Chair for China Policy Studies at the RAND Corporation. Thank you so much for joining us. So this idea that the lockdowns might actually make a surge worse as you ease them. Uh, run that down for us. Is it just because of the obvious that people are going to be getting out and maybe they're going to be feel a little too free with themselves? Yeah. So um, thank you for inviting me here. Uh, good to be here. So I want to, fir- first of all, uh, explain what is a lockdown. Uh, so the official name that Chinese government has been uh, adopting in the last year uh, is a dynamic COVID zero policy. So it's a little bit different from the lockdown, what we have seen in 2020. So this is a policy not aimed to stop a trend, a outbreak. Uh, that's a lockdown. You know, when there's no interaction, then the the outbreak goes out. But this one, the dynamic zero policy, it's really about a population that has no COVID, but then a heightened surveillance system. And when they find the first patient, then they immediately lock down that area and then maybe organize about a million people for repeated testing so that everyone in that region, it could be a few city blocks, it could be a part of a city, and they check everyone using the mass testing. Right, but, 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 let me, but, but let me yeah. get in here because I, I want to sort of, uh, mm-hmm. before we run out of time, get into the, the fact that, that the, the problem, as I understand it, and tell me if I'm wrong, the problem that China is now facing is that because it initially had that lockdown situation and then there's the, the zero COVID program or whatever you want to call it, yeah. <laughs> they have a, a huge population, in fact, most, right, that have very yeah. little natural immunity because well, they didn't get COVID. Four billion. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their vaccines, uh, they, they are refusing, as I understand it, to import uh, Western vaccines. They're using right. their own, which are not quite as good. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're starting now, with, right, with a, a huge population that mm-hmm. essentially is a, is facing COVID afresh. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Their their immunity is low. Uh, it's low because in the last two and a half years they have been. Uh, actually doing quite a good job in uh, lowering the, the case number to very low. And they also have uh, a, a border that's very, uh, it's a closed down border because everyone going in have to go, go, go through multiple rounds of testing, uh, as well as quarantine. Prolong, the quarantine can be up to three weeks. Uh, so they hope that in this way, they, they really uh, do not have any outbreak in the country of 1.4 billion people. So most of people has no doesn't know anyone who had ever had uh, COVID. So that's one. And then even though the uh, vaccine uh, rate, the the primary uh, vaccine rate was about ninety uh, percent, but it's using the China's based uh, vaccine Sinovac, which has a lower efficacy and it, the immunity also lasts shorter. 
compared to the mRNA. So they usually only last about uh, three to six, six months. The problem is that the booster campaign hasn't ever started. So most of the people, especially those who are older, uh, didn't even have the booster this year. So that when, when the Omicron come in, when the dynamic zero policy no longer can stop the transmission, because even if they can detect it, they, they are supposed to detect them fast, but the Omicron is just too, uh, the transmission is too fast, too broad. They cannot identify everyone who had a disease in a mm. uh, timely man- manner. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Uh, Jennifer Bowie, epidemiologist and senior policy researcher and Tang Chair for China Policy Studies at the Rand Corporation. What kind of Christmas tree do you get? Uh, we have a fake one. A and, fake one? Yes. Because, Article, yeah. because we had yeah. a real one once, and yeah. I think for about a year and a half I was vacuuming up pine needles. Oh, yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. Right. This is KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Well, the buzz has been building for the new Avatar movie, Avatar The Way of Water. Now that it's finally out in the theaters, it's being talked about everywhere. And we're talking about it, too, I suppose. Yeah, yes. That, otherwise, we uh, would, That counts. Otherwise, this would be a silent segment. Yes. So, yes, we are. But not everyone, no, not everyone who wants to go to the movies wants to see Avatar. I mean, I saw the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was enough. Yeah. I don't really feel like seeing another I feel one. the same way, I think. But then the question becomes, what else do you see? Well, there are other movies playing right now, believe it or not. So what other solid options do we moviegoers have this weekend and in the days to come? Or is uh, no one going to watch the other movies because Avatar will be so big? Tracy Pearson is a cultural analyst based here in L.A. Tracy, how you doing? Hi, gentlemen. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, I'm not I'm declaring right now I am not going to see Avatar just because I don't want to. That's it. So why do you hate America? (laughs) Why do I hate America? America? Uh, Tracy, for somebody like me, what can I see or am I doomed to go roaming from theater to theater only to be told, which show would you like to see of Avatar? <laughs> well, if if seeing Avatar and, and really high-tech cinematography and, and just Mr. Cameron's incredible perfection is not for you, I've got other choices. Uh, if you're into comedy and you're looking for something holiday-related, you might think about Violent Night. Um, it's about a wealthy family that was attacked by mercenaries and... Uh, guess who comes to their defense? Who? But Santa. Santa. And Santa, Santa. is, and to use the term, uh, badass is in this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want him coming to my defense, frankly. <laughs> uh, if you're really into a sentimental holiday movie, you uh-huh. might think about Spoiler Alert. Ah. Uh, it's about a relationship between two men that's transformed when one of them becomes ill. And so if you're looking for a, a, a comedy slash tearjerker, you might think about spoiler alert. And and, uh, and, and and talk about spoiler alert. So does the person die? Oh, I'm not going to reveal all that. <laughs> Why? It's called spoiler alert. People, people listening are going to be angry with me. Yeah, but, but how can somebody complain about a spoiler alert? <laughs> exactly. When it's called that. Okay. What, what else can I we see? I take an oath not to reveal these things, folks. Okay. Um, what, what else can we see? 
right. a really good choice if you're not sure whether you want to watch it on Apple Plus or if you want to watch it in the theaters would be Emancipation. Emancipation is a is a great film about uh, a man who is attempting to escape slavery and trying to make it to freedom. And if if you want to see a movie on the big screen, this is the one that I would go see. Who's in that one? Uh, this is Will Smith, Ben Foster. Uh, Charmaine Bingwa, Gilbert. Uh, but you, yeah, but you just said you just said an interesting name. You said I Will know. Smith. I know. So I know. is Will Smith going to uh, turn people off for that movie? I would keep an open mind. I really would. I I understand the reservations, and we could talk hours about that. I think that this is one of those movies because of the the subject matter that people ought to go see, or at least stream it on Apple Plus. Um, I also think that Fablemans might be a, a good uh, movie for folks to go see if you are uh, a Steven Spielberg fan. I am. This is a semi autobiographical film about what inspired him to want to become a movie maker now charles put me on the spot because i i am a huge uh, there are two directors that i live for steven spielberg mm-hmm. and christopher nolan mm. and so charles put me on the spot and said well have you gone to see the new steven spielberg film and i said no because i don't feel like going to the theater but it's now available you can purchase it on uh, on on amazon Prime and some other services too, and so I have it there. I still haven't watched it yet. I, I bought it, but I haven't watched it. Yeah, yet. but Tra- but Tracy, isn't isn't that sort of an interesting irony? What Rob just said. So here's a movie about made by Steven Spielberg about why he wanted to be a filmmaker, but a lot of people, maybe most, are going to like Rob watch it at home. Yeah, you know, I would watch it at home. I would watch a lot of movies at home. Frankly, I I can buy my popcorn for Mm -hmm. cheap at home. But I think that there is a benefit to seeing some of these films in the theater because they are just so great. And I'm going to point you back to Avatar. Uh, One of the interesting points about Avatar is in previews, it just made $17 million in uh, just domestic showings. And 60% of that was 3D. So if the if you're into a 3D film, this is the film for you. Can I watch uh, it on my phone? No. <laughs> does your phone do 3D? Because if your phone no. does 3D, I want your Well, phone. it does if you move it back and forth really fast. <laughs> my phone barely makes calls. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Wait, you make calls on the phone? Sometimes. That's odd. I know. It's very prehistoric. Right. I know. Thank you so much. Tracy Pearson, cultural <laughs> analyst based here in L.A. Yeah, some of you uh, are probably making up your mind. It's just a good weekend. Well, if you don't buy the Christmas tree now, it's like when you're going to yeah, buy it. Like, you're yeah. not going to buy it in July, <laughs> are you? You're going to buy it like now. Yeah. But the battle of the Christmas trees now, because this is what we're going to be talking about. Because the question is, do you get a real one, real tree? Or do you buy one of those artificial things? And there's a lot of things to consider. Uh, Are you environmentally conscious? Or do you want to go with something natural? You're more into that. Mm -hmm. Or uh, maybe save money, get an artificial tree that lasts, you know, forever. Saving money is a good idea. Yes, saving money is a good idea. Also having an artificial tree that will last longer than the human race. (laughs) Uh, With us now is uh, Mac Harmon, CEO and founder of Balsam Hill, which makes artificial Christmas trees. Also, Jill Sidebottom, spokesperson for the National Christmas Tree Association, which represents growers of natural Christmas trees. So I assume we're going to let them battle it out. Oh, yeah. And, battle to the finish. And the winner who remains standing will be the one who decides what Christmas tree yes. we get. Uh, <laughs> let me start with the artificial Christmas tree, uh, Mac Harmon. Uh, now, artificial Christmas trees are for people who are like, 
you know, yeah, tradition's nice, but I also like to save money, and I can I can put this tree up every year for the rest of my life, and it's going to be fine. Uh, but there are some environmental concerns. Can you address the environmental concerns that people might have with with fake artificial plastic Christmas trees? Well, first, thanks for having both Kel and myself on the show. It's great to be with everybody. And uh, I want to full disclosure. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I love both types of trees. But uh, on the artificial side, you know, they they get criticized for being plastic, and plastic lasts a long time. And that's one of the advantages of artificial Christmas trees is that they do last a long time. At Balsam Hill, we try and manufacture trees that last decades. Uh, we started 17 years ago and still have our original trees out there still in service this Christmas. And so uh, it's kind of back to that reduce, reuse, recycle mantra. Um, reduce is the first thing you do. The second thing you do is reuse. And that's what you do with an artificial tree. Well, Jill, uh, you represent the National Christmas Tree Association, the real thing. Uh, now, tell the truth. Do you ever get an artificial tree for you or or anyone in your family? Well, um. Oh wait a minute! Oh uh, wait, you're you're going to you say yes, with a well. aren't you? When you start no, no, with a no. well, when I was a little girl. We had an uh, yeah. aluminum Christmas tree, oh. which I don't believe they have those anymore. No aluminum but, ones. Uh, ever since uh, my brother moved out uh, of the house, uh, and uh, we've had real trees ever since. What? But the the thing about a real tree, of course, is you get. We were talking about this before in the last segment. You get the smell of a tree, which you don't get with an artificial one. Uh, what else is the advantage of a real tree? Well, a real tree is a renewable resource. Um, it's perfectly recyclable. Um, and while it's growing, it provides habitat for wildlife. And that's something I've seen um, through experience. I've worked more than 30 years with the Christmas tree industry, and I always saw more wildlife working in trees than I did uh, when hiking. So um, it's a, a natural and beautiful um, a showcase for your holiday season. All right, let me go back to uh, to uh, Mac, the artificial tree guy. Um, so uh, the biggest complaint that we're getting here, the first thing that gets mentioned is natural Christmas trees have a smell. You get the Christmas tree smell. Uh, can't, can't you make an artificial tree that has a Christmas tree smell? You know, it's funny. We don't actually make the trees that have a smell, but we make a scent machine that diffuses the oil from Christmas trees. So it's the same oil that's made here in the United States on tree farms, and it's it's not one of the water diffusers you have to refill all the time. It's actually oil that's diffused out there. There's also scented ornaments and other things you can do. Uh, what I like to do to have um, scent is get a, a farm-grown wreath or garland, and I put it uh, somewhere in my living room that get that scent out. Um, from the natural, the natural, uh, the natural scent, which is great. The only thing is, it doesn't last as long as I put my tree up. I think a lot of the reasons we see people using artificial trees is they set their tree up before Thanksgiving and they take it down sometime in January, right? And it's just too or, or long later. to keep uh, okay, so, alive in your house. So, so Mac and Joe, here's the game we're now going to play because we got a few seconds, uh, well, a couple of minutes actually left. Uh, so you got a lot of listeners out there. As I said at the beginning, uh, this is a weekend. A lot of people are deciding. Well, yeah, I'm going to go and get the tree. I don't know what I'm going to. Get. So you got a uh, thirty seconds each for your pitch. So Max, start with you. Uh, why should people buy an artificial tree? I think the big reason is convenience. You don't have to, it's pre lit. Uh, you don't have to straighten it in the stand. You don't have to cut the trunk off. You don't have sap or needles falling off, and you don't have to water it. And it lasts as long as you want to leave it up, and you don't have to worry about it becoming a fire hazard over time. Oh, good sales pitch, Jill. 
Well, uh, I don't understand how uh, the biggest holiday of the year and the centerpiece of that holiday is a is a tree. Uh, you don't want something that's fake. Uh, you want something that's real. You want something that's beautiful. Boom. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Slam, slam dunk there. <laughs> As Vicki Moore would say, shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. I don't know. They, they're both pretty good sales Here, Here's the question I have. This yeah. is a very important question. I'll put this to both of you, and you can decide uh, who's got the better answer. Uh, I've got cats. Cats What's, like in cats? cats? Cats. Cats. And not fake cats. Real, real cats. Real cats. Okay. Real cats yeah. for, for the natural smell. Uh, which one, which tree would be better for me if I've got cats? Well, I don't think that, you know, I think Ethan would be fine for cats. Um, like, like Mac, you know, it's, uh, it's sort of your personal choice whether you get a real or artificial. Well, to be, to be honest, it's the cat's choice when you get right down yeah, to it. That, that's such a weird question. I mean, suppose somebody, suppose you have a lizard as a pet. It's not a weird question. It is a weird question. Well, okay. How about dogs? You oh, got okay. in, uh, indoor dogs. Indoor. Do- oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, sure. I guess because dogs sure. see a tree and you know what they're going to do. Hmm. Yeah. That. Yeah, Mac. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, so got an in, you know dogs inside sees the tree. I guess the dog can smell it. It's not real, right? Yeah. Can't they? In all my years in the industry, I've never heard of a dog uh, taking on a tree in that fashion. So I think you're good. I, I have to say, I think you're good in both cases. Okay. Right. <laughs> oh, and, but what about cost? Uh, I mean, forgetting about the fact that the artificial tree can can last a long time. So, so you, I guess your investment lasts a long time. But the initial upfront cost, because a lot of people are really hard pressed now for money. Uh, which is going to set you back the most right now? A, a, a really good looking artificial tree or really good looking real one well even a real tree you know in a single year it's going to be less expensive the artificial tree is something that you have to um, move that cost off across multiple years well how how much are the artificial trees mac so jill is it about 70 dollars this year average nationwide for a, a farm grown tree that was the median we found last year Okay. Yeah. So with an artificial tree, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different price points. Um, there's a, there's a lot of trees that are $199. If you want to get up in a nicer tree, you're looking at more like $299 or $399. So you're going to have a break even on an artificial tree after three or four years, um, which is about the same as the, um, we've, we've done a, a big study and it, it shows that the break even for the environmental impact is around five years. And so, um, you know, you know, if you keep your tree for five years or more, which 75% of Americans do, according to Nielsen, uh, then you're going to you're going to be better off financially if you don't mind making that upfront investment. Uh, but again, uh, farm grown trees have some advantages, too. And I think whatever whatever tree is the right tree for you and your family is the way you ought to go. All right. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Matt Carmen, CEO and founder of Baltimore Hill, representing the uh, the Artificial Tree Coalition. And Jill Sidebottom, representing the uh, Real and Natural uh, Tree. People. So that, that brings us back to you, Rob. I mean, you have yeah. your cats that you're worried yeah. about. So what kind of tree are you going to have? An art, we have an artificial, an artificial tree. We've, we've already put it up. And it's kind of a cool one. It's, it's, it's a big circle when it's in the box, right? Yeah. And then you put up the stand that holds yeah. it up. And what you do is you lift it up over the stand and mm-hmm. then you drop it down. Yeah. And it creates this giant square. Skirt. Now, the cats love it because they love to go inside the skirt of the Christmas tree oh. and sit there and watch us and make their plans against us. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> that's it for KX in depth today. We'll be back uh, Monday.